G'day legends, just a quick note before we get into this episode. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast, and if you are, I reckon you'll love my vlog over on YouTube, Skulls Weekly. After almost 300 episodes of my daily vlog, Skulls Stories, we wanted to continue to make it interesting and add value to you guys as cricket lovers and cricketers, cricket coaches, and so we've changed it up. We're making it a much higher quality production. We're trying to give as much value as we can, and we've made it a weekly vlog, Skulls Weekly. We've had some excellent feedback so far. So guys, head over to YouTube, search Cricket Mentoring. Please subscribe, like, share, comment, etc. And check out my new vlog, Skulls Weekly. Welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. I'm Tom Scolle, or Skulls as I get called, and this podcast has been designed for cricketers and cricket lovers who want to learn and improve themselves. In this podcast, we interview past, current and future cricket stars to find out more about their journey and what makes them successful, while also sharing some audio from ourselves at Cricket Mentoring. Our goal is to help you become your best on and off the field, so I hope you enjoy this podcast and get something valuable out of it. G'day legends. Today's guest has developed into one of the most exciting T20 batters in the country with his performances for the Melbourne Renegades in the past two Big Bash tournaments. Sam Harper is the Victorian and Melbourne Renegades wicketkeeper batsman. We caught up during my time in Melbourne recently to discuss his journey from the backyard with his dad and brother to playing professionally. Harper was a big reason for the Renegades who won the Big Bash in 2019 with his dynamic batting at the top of the order regularly getting them off to a flyer. It hasn't all been easy going though, and at the time of this interview, Sam was waiting to be cleared to play again from concussion. I love hearing the story of players at the beginning of their careers who often haven't shared their journey, so I hope you enjoy this episode and take something valuable from Sam's journey. G'day legends and welcome to this episode of the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. It's great to have a young gun of Australian cricket here with me today, Sam Harper. Sammy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you here. Now, guys, those of you that have been living under a rock and don't watch the Big Bash, Sam's been uh, a big star of the Big Bash for the last couple of years. He's played 16 first-class matches, 18 list-day matches, and 33 2020s, which with a phenomenal strike rate of 141. Well done on everything you've done this year and in your career. At just 23, he's, he's got a big future ahead of him. Now, we'll take you back to where it all started. I hope I get this right. You were born in Wantana in Melbourne's east. Your father, Brian, was a, was a cricketer. Um, he was regarded as one of the best cricketers in the Daniloquin and Districts Cricket Association. Yeah. What's your earliest memory of playing cricket? Yeah, as you've touched on this, it's probably my family. Um, I have an older brother who's a couple of years older than me, so um, we were always having fierce uh, backyard battles, as most brotherhoods do, um, growing up. And then Dad got involved a lot in that as well. We had a, we had a little half pitch in our backyard um, that I convinced Dad to make into a full pitch. Uh, when I got a little bit older, so yeah, we were lucky to have a synthetic wicket with golf holes, basketball rings, and yeah, just awesome. encouraged to play sport growing up. That's a little bit like my sort of childhood. I had I lived on a big block in Alice Springs, and my parents used old bed frames for nets, and we used clay for the wicket. For the wicket. What did your dad have to do to make it from half to full? Did you have to knock something over or change? Yeah, we just so we took out all the grass down the middle, and then we had cooch on both sides. It was he he loves his grass, he loves his outdoors. So yeah, we we're pretty lucky in that regard that he set up an environment where we could just have fun and play. Yeah, and it was you and your brother and your dad throwing you a few balls, a few sort of heavy competitions, no doubt? Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, I went to Montana South Primary School, so and so did my brother, so we had 
mates over, uh, yeah, neighbours who enjoyed playing. All us, we had the next door neighbour, the house across the road, and the house across from them all played at Johnson Park yeah. Cricket Club together. So it was either out in the street or into our house for a little game. Lovely. And then at what stage did you progress from the backyard and start playing competitive cricket? Yeah, well, those, my neighbours were actually my brother's age, so I'd always go and watch them in the under-11s on a Friday night, That was, and Dad would throw me some in the nets, but I never could play, but I always had my whites there in the, in the boot, just in case, and then this one time, like, nine people rocked up, um, so the coach, who was my next-door neighbour, said, oh, do you want to play? I said, absolutely, I've been bringing my whites for weeks, mate, <laughs> so that was my first um, game, and then I played the rest of the games for that season in the under-11s. Mate, that reminds me so much of my story. My yeah. best friend at primary school was playing cricket. I was living in Canberra, and I'd sleep over his house on a Friday night, and I'd bring my whites, yeah. and then one day they said, oh, we're short, we're can short, you join can you in? And, I just, and my parents said, oh, what are you doing? Do you actually want to play? I was like, yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> awesome. So then when did you start to take it a bit more seriously? Like, when did you start to think, this is something I really enjoy, really love, and I want to do more of it? Yeah, it was probably pretty early for me. I was... Um, yeah, playing the Vic Under 13 and Vic Under 15 stuff, and that was always a goal of mine. Whilst playing other sports, cricket was always my number one sport. Um, and then, yeah, through year seven, eight, nine, I was yeah pretty adamant I wanted to be the best cricketer I could be. So how did you get into the Vic Under 15s and 17s? Was that through really good performances for your, your school, your club, um, at, a, at a carnival? How did that all progress? Yeah, I think it was just through some junior stuff. I played the Outer East Eagles under-14s in the pathways and, um, yeah, got invited to some 13s, 15s trials and um, I was only not much taller than I am now, but I think they saw my technique, not my power, because I, I honestly didn't hit it very far. I had the back cut and a block. That was yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was a little wicketkeeper as well. So made made my way into those teams mainly as a wicketkeeper. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I just knew I had to keep developing my batting as well. And then how did it progress from there to become sort of into grade cricket? How did your progression go from junior cricket into grade cricket? Yeah, so I played at um, juniors for Johnson Park and then majority at Ilden Park um, where I had a few mates. And then I'd play for Ilden Park in the morning like most kids would and then I'd duck off. Mum would drive me at 11.30 straight after that game to Caulfield Park to play in the suburbs. So, yeah, you'd hope you'd win the toss and... Bat in both games, you could have two bats yeah. in a day if you were lucky. Have to field twice, and or you'd have to keep yeah. <laughs> twice yeah. in a day. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was my sat days, and then yeah, um, from there I played the first half of the season at Caulfield. Had stress fractures in my foot, so then we decided that the second half of the year I'd go um, check out Melbourne. Um, so yeah, when I played in their third eleven for the rest of the year. How did you get into wicket keeping with you and your brother? Normally, it's a batter and a bowler. Yeah, yeah. How did you start standing behind the stumps? Um, I think my height didn't help, to be honest. Like I, I did bowl through 9s, 11s and 13s, but I was always quite small. Um, we had this thing in the backyard where it was like a chair that people would sit on when they came over, but we we put the plastic stumps on the chair and used it as like a knicker. Yeah. And then rather, as long as playing back, we actually used to throw, we got videos of us throwing um, the ball and it like hits the thing and it's like a little ramp and we, yeah, yeah. we had wicket keeping gloves on. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Pete never was playing at Melbourne when my dad was coaching, so he might have given us a little pair of gloves. And yeah. so, you never know, those little things make a difference. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, we just caught heaps of balls in the backyard. Yeah, excellent. And, yeah, it's amazing how those little things can have a big impact, and you mm. may not be a keeper now if, if that hadn't have happened. Yeah, who definitely. knows? But um, how did you then progress into Melbourne's first team and then beyond that into second eleven and uh, getting a contract with Victoria? Yeah, so um, like both of you, I did the, did the time. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't just a click of your fingers thing. I... Made my way through the seconds, um, had some tough... When you go from playing junior cricket where you're sort of playing against kids your age to playing senior cricket, uh, it can be a big transition. So, and I found that tough at stages. Um, 
facing men in a competitive environment at age 14, 15, it was, and it was probably one of the best things uh, for my development. So, And like Melbourne is, they, they make you work for it. So I um, had to punch out some runs in the seconds. Um, it was the seconds final series where we played three finals in a row. I um, got two 90s in a row, and then that sort of the next year I played in the first. And off I went, made my debut at Geelong, and um, yeah, Brad Hodge played that game. We had, we had a pretty good team. So yeah, awesome. Good. And then was it way to runs in first grade again? It got you into the Victorian setup. It was, yeah. Um, I think it was the same thing. It was just I had to show that I could make a few. I'd done some stuff in the under seventeen carnival, under nineteen carnival for the Vicks, but um, yeah, I had a good seventeens away in Adelaide, and then came back and made a few runs in February for Melbourne, and then played my um, yeah first second home game out at um, Ringwood against Tasmania. And so, what do you see is the most important thing for you, and I suppose young keepers listening or watching this. Is it that you're a very good keeper and then you've got to get runs to get in? Or is it that you're a, a good batter that can stop the ball okay? Like, How does it, it fit, do you think, generally? I'm probably a bit of a tr- traditionalist. Cause I like, like, I, as a keeper from a, young, uh, from a young age, I always was a sort of a keeper. And then my batting, it just had to develop just with <laughs> the way Gilchrist and Haddon and those guys came along and also worldwide. I mean, um, there's not too many keepers out there these days that aren't contributing to their team with the bat. And then... I'd go so far to say in the white ball, you sort of need a bat in that top mm. three or four position, ideally for the team set up so you can play an all-rounder at six or seven. So, um, yeah, that's sort of, I didn't really think about that as a 13 or 14 year I just sort of played. Dad always encouraged me that they just look to score, like find multiple ways to score, whether that was um, sweeping, whether it was using my crease. And so all those things I worked on and just sort of did in junior cricket, I can now sort of do now. It's just um, I sort of learned how... With my stature, I can time the ball and use different areas of the ground, which is uh, you look at someone like a Bo Webster who's six foot five. He can access different areas of the ground with his levers compared to me at five foot eight. Yeah. I'd have to use other areas. So. It's a, and it's about knowing yourself and your game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so when you mentioned that you were small, you had the back cut and the block. When did the power come? When did you start? Like I know for me, I, I was quite small as well, and I worked hard at getting my technique. And all of a sudden, I could hit the ball and I could beat the field. Like when did that happen for you? Yeah, it was probably when I was about 14 or 15, I sort of, um, I'd go to the gym. I went to study going to the gym, firstly. Uh, we had a gym at school, so I'd go most mornings of the week there. And what were you doing? Were you focusing on strength, um, just getting stronger? Were you fo- did you have cricket-specific exercises? What was it? No, not really. I sort of just actually did it out of enjoyment. Like, I just, I knew that I was, I needed, this was something, if I wanted to make it as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, I'd have to be, this was an area of cricket fitness. So I always enjoyed my aerobic stuff, um, Sometimes too much, that, that running sort of on the concrete led me to some injuries, so I sort of just found a balance between uh, some strength stuff uh, and the aerobic stuff. I didn't really believe in those myths that you couldn't do gym as a 14-year-old or at least couldn't get some push-ups and bodyweight stuff going. I don't yeah. know how that couldn't help you. Um, and then from there, it was honestly just fun. Like We just explored different ways. Like uh, The ramp sort of came in throwing in credits in the school gym, trying to hit it into the basketball ring behind me. Um, like It wasn't serious practice, it was actually fun. And then, of course, you got Incredi, you're not blocking the Incredi, you yeah. your school mates, you're yeah. so you can bomb them out of the sports yeah, complex yeah. and stuff like that, and six hitting competitions and that sort of just yeah. evolved. Awesome, and that's where often the best sort of skills are learned, in a fun, safe environment, and then you can progress from there. Let's take a quick break from the podcast for a minute to thank our sponsors, Grove Cricket. Grove is the best gear in the business, and we absolutely love using it. Guys, if you're interested in some Grove Cricket gear, then send us a message on Instagram. Let us know what you're after, and we can help you 
become a user of Grove, and in doing so, you can support what we're doing here at Cricket Mentoring. It is awesome gear, and I'm sure you'll love it as much as we do. Now, let's get back to this episode. How important is fitness in a professional cricketer's life, do you think? I think it's very important. I think it's only evolving, like... um because the game's got so professional now. I mean, before Christmas we played seven one days, six shield games, and then went into 14 big bash games within 40-odd days. So, like, if you're not physically prepared, um, it's probably not going to help you as much mentally as well. Like, you need to be mentally and physically fresh. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just try and do both those skills. I think being mentally fresh and physically fresh is very important to yeah. that performance. We'll get onto your mindset shortly, but going back a few steps... You've mentioned your father a few times. He's obviously had a huge impact in your life. Um, how important has he and other mentors been for you in your life and your career? Yeah, he's been. He was very important, um, sort of up until the 15s, 16s, and he was great. And he's always someone I still chat to now. But he's sort of, I can remember a few conversations where he's like, "Mate, I've helped you, and I'm still gonna. I will always help you." But uh, I didn't. He never played sort of first class cricket or anything, or that much grade cricket. So he said, "I feel like we've got a good technique in place. Now you've got to go and explore. Go and pick um, pick the brain of Nathan Pillen and Tim Ludeman and these guys who have kept." Um, I was lucky that he coached Melbourne, so I had access to Andrew McDonald and Brad Hodge and these batters who had played Test cricket. So I could um, go and ask them questions. My uncle Laurie had played forty first class century Torres, so I'd go and chat with him about batting. So he, he was very big on sort of pushing me out of the comfort zone of family to go and get these guys who have been there at the level. And then from there, um, Graham Rummers was great. He's my 17s and 19s coach, Jared Loffman. Yeah, there's been a lot of guys who have helped me. Yeah. Um, now, moving into your um, first class sort of debut, and even before that, you got. when did you find out you, were, you had a Victoria contract? Was it a rookie contract? Was it a full contract? How did that all come about? Yeah, it was a rookie. Um, we had a talent camp up in Queensland. Um, yeah, it was just before... We were just leading into sort of that under-19 World Cup phase and then Andrew Lynch, who's our uh, chairman of selectors, came and said, mate, we're going to offer you a um, two-year rookie deal, which was amazing news. I was I was pumped because you've worked for years yeah, to, yeah, to get absolutely. that, so that was exciting. Um, and then that was sort of a weird year because that was so exciting. Then a few months later, there was sort of this... It was a negative for us because, like you work to get a contract, a big goal of mine was to play in that under-19 World Cup and um, unfortunately for us, that was in Bangladesh and we weren't able to actually make that tour mm. so um yeah, you get a contract and then you can't go to the world cup so it's sort of disappointing and yeah. good news in a few months and then your debut came um what are your memories around that i know you you did well nine catches six in, the, in for the match six in the second innings a few runs 20 odd in the first, in your in your only hit that must have been a, a thrill to make your debut for the bush rangers yeah it was um yeah just again to the kids out there sometimes it you need to take a bit of luck. Like for me, it was Matthew Wade going on a, I think he was going on an Australian tour, and then my second first class game, he had a kid. So like, that's sort of that was my introduction to first class cricket. Not there was a mountain of hard work before that to get to that stage, but um, yeah, that's sort of how that came about. And then yeah, I just remember Dave Hussey presented me with my cap, and um, I had James Pattinson and Peter Siddle bowling from the members end and the understand end at the MCG. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Pretty yeah, special. It, it was though. definitely very special. I'll, won't forget that for a long time. Were you nervous? Def- absolutely, yeah. I was very excited. Um, I was happy that we won the toss. It was overcast and we bowled. I was happy that we bowled first because I just couldn't be bothered. Oh, not couldn't be bothered, but I didn't want to sit around with that anxious yeah. energy going around. I just wanted to get out there and get in the game. So do you get more nervous before you keep, before you bat, or similar? Uh, but definitely before I bat. Yeah. Um, I feel like keeping is probably more of a controllable. 
uh, batting. There's a lot of there's a few more external factors that going on. I know I can do my work behind the scenes in my keeping, and then I just go out and keep and trust yourself. Like, trust yourself. Like everyone, we all make mistakes. Or you miss stumpings, drop catches. That's just, that's unfortunately part of it. But yeah, um, yeah with the batting again, you do the pre- preparation, and the work, but uh, there's just a few more things. I think my, my first runs in first class school was first ball. I got like a two football outside off stump that was just a normal leave um, any day of the week and I just literally just left my bat out there and went through gully for four. <laughs> oh, happy days. You need a bit of luck. I know, you do need a little bit of luck sometimes. Um, now, uh, where are we at here? So man- managing your keeping and your batting, you obviously want to be the best keeper you can be and the best batter you can be. How do you go about that, making sure in your preparation you're getting enough volume in your keeping and your batting? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um when I was at the academy, I did some. We had a keepers camp, and then through that in 19s, um, Tom Healy was also in the sort of my age group, so we did a fair bit of work together. And then um, he sort of showed me a thing that his dad did, Ian Healy did, with the golf ball. So, um, and that's just finding a basement or a brick wall or something. So I, I can do a lot of my basic stuff by myself, which is which I can do, which I do completely outside of training hours. So then when I get to training, so like now we've got Bora as our big. Andre Borovic, who did, played a lot of games at Geelong, he's our keeping sort of guy at the Renegades in Victoria. So, say training starts at 10, I'll text him. He's amazing. He's one of the hardest working coaches I've had, so he'll just get there at 9.15 and we'll do all our pretty much all our keeping before the main session even starts. Yeah. So then when the main session starts, the group goes into fielding, I'll be able to join in the slips group with the slips boys and then batting. You can do your batting and focus on that. So you're... You're prolonging and making your session longer to make sure you get everything done. Yeah, I think it. I think it has to be like if you choose to be a keeper, which I enjoy. Um, it's like a bowler. Like they'll probably bowl the stuff, and then you might see bowlers who are really trying to work on their batting either there beforehand or post because the main block of their session is working on their main skill. Yeah. Um, and these days, I think the keeping slash batting has to be. 50-50 because that's just the way the game's evolved. Absolutely, you need to be yeah, you need to be good at two or three skills. Correct. Um, you spoke a little bit before about oh, if you, everyone makes a mistake, you drop a catch, you, you miss a stumping. Have you always been good at moving on from that quickly, or is that something you've had to work at? And what are the mental skills you sort of do now? You forgive yourself quickly and move on. Yeah, I'm still working on. It. I'm still not great at it now, to be honest. Like, yeah. I hate making mistakes, especially as a keeper. It's almost easier to get out than it is to make a mistake as a keeper because you've, you're just letting the bowler down you're letting the team down and it's it's frustrating because you've done all the work you're like Fuck, what have I missed I remember Dan Hughes last year in the semi-final him and Josh Phil he was smacking us everywhere uh, he ran over a York it was actually a really it was a tough stumping but at that time you're like Fuck, it's the semi-final the big bash I cannot be affording to make this mistake um, but yeah you, sort of, you just have to move on like it's not it's not that easy and it doesn't I say that like easily, just chatting here with you on a relaxed morning. But yeah. at the time when it does happen, um, yeah, it's tough. I think that's just one of the challenges we face. Yeah, well, if you if you don't move on, you, you're not in the moment to execute your skill the next when the skill. next one comes. But I know I played last weekend and I dropped the catch at slip and you just kick yourself yeah. for ages. Until just, that batter's out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the, it is the worst feeling, I believe, like I worse than getting a duck. Totally. Um, so BBL 09, you, you performed well again, 279 runs at an um, average of 25 plus, a strike rate of 144. You've, you've made yourself into this explosive top-order batter who comes out, has complete freedom and, and it almost looks like a carefree mm-hmm. attitude. You back yourself, you hit all around the ground. What When you sort of assess your game what's a good match for you like is it 28 off 13 balls and you've got the team off to a fly is it a 70 
and you've maybe gone a little bit slow. What do you sort of see and what's your role in the team? Yeah, a good point. So when I first came in and Ronnie was our coach, this was last year, um, yeah, he was they he was great. Like I didn't really expect to be opening the batting, but he put me up at the top and he said, Mate, your role is there just to get to use the power play. Um so that actually started and the majority of the season I spent at three where if we lost a wicket in the first four or five overs I'd go in and then outside of that I'd actually slip I'd go back down to seven or eight because there was we had better resources to use through those middle and um, later overs. Uh, so happened to be that last year we I found myself in a fair bit of the time, um, and yeah I think that first experience in the Big Bash with the freedom Ronnie gave me I, it meant that I could just go out and play my shots. I remember I remember ramping getting out second ball at Geelong and like being really disappointed because I it was a ball that I should have executed and I didn't. And uh, after the game Ronnie just said to me, "Mate, awesome stuff. Keep backing yourself." And like so for your head coach to say that when you've made one, it just gives you so much confidence to just keep it and go and play in that way and then yeah over the 14 games I think if you uh, prepare well and pick a method that you're going to do um, and you stick to it for long enough then success is not too far around the corner uh, and then this year sort of things changed a, a tiny little bit I found myself opening sort of with the same the same role but on the back end of conversations with Ronnie last year and then uh, Maxi this year was just get off the, to a fast up but if I do happen to get out of the power play um me just getting out, slogging caught in the deep is not. That's not good for the team. Like I sort of didn't feel like. I thought I, last year I looked at the bench and went, "Fuck!" There's all these great players waiting to bat. I better get on with it because yeah. who am I? I'm this 21 year old kid. Like they're way better than I am. But then, yeah, sort of this year I found uh, my wicket is important. I've got to take responsibility through that middle because um, I put us got us off to some good starts last year. But then we also lost some wickets in clumps for over six to ten and put us yeah. under some pressure through the middle. So. Um, yeah, classic example this year would have been Sydney Sixers, 45 off 23 balls um, flying and then, yeah, hit like a Yorker to mid-wicket so in the seventh over, which was, that's almost more disappointing for me than mm. making six because mm. that's just an opportunity to um, consolidate for five or six overs. And then, yeah, moving forward to Geelong and Canberra, they were sort of um, the innings that I sort of learnt from last year, being able to get off to a good start, then get through the power play and sort of set us up at the back end. And almost you sort of pull it back a little bit once you get through the power play and just sort of start playing a little bit more sensibly yeah. to take it a bit deeper. Yeah, definitely. I think you have to. Like, you've got to respect. It's all good to play with the carefree and freedom, but you actually got to respect that the bowl at the other end is at the, in the BBL level is very good. Uh, so down to long in seventh over, forward armoured with five out, spinning it both ways. Like, you can't just go and clear deep mid-wicket like, yeah. when you haven't seen when you haven't faced him um, and got the read of the wicket, what he's bowling, that's just... Yeah. It's playing, I think there's a... People see freedom and carefree and just think there's sort of, oh, he can just do what he wants. But I think it's learning your matchups to someone like me, someone bowling on pace, I'm going to take that over on because that's a good matchup for me. But someone like um, Farwood who's bowling slow sort of leaks me in both ways. Um, there's probably more ways to skin a cat than one. Yeah, I had um, Maxi Klinger in here a little while ago and he spoke about how he would review the game in great detail he would spend time watching the whole 20 overs of an upcoming opponent so that he could understand who bowled when and and what their deliveries were at certain times and and my question to him was do you then consciously think oh third ball he's going to bowl this or is it just then sort of put in your database in the back back of your mind somewhere and you can sort of subconsciously just play do you use video do you analyze your opponents or do you just back yourself and go out and get it done yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. I think a lot of players do this quite differently. I'm 
I am a video watcher. Um, I want to know what sort of, <coughs> sorry, so someone like Matt Kelly or Sids or someone who's got a good Yorker. Um, Ellis got a back end. Like, I want to know what sort of slow balls they've got, what how many, what sort of percentage they bowl in that in and over. Um, but then once I'm out there, I'm not thinking about that. I'm yeah. preparing for someone who has a slow ball. I'm preparing for an on-pace ball. Yeah, and then and, just reacting. And then just reacting. Um, the only shot I'll preconceive is the, is the ramp. And sort of this year, it's been good because I did a lot of work in the off-season against off-pace bowling, so to have a good, solid plan against that. So teams, I knew teams would come hard early in the tournament, me with slow ball bowling. Uh, I sort of felt like I played that reasonably well. And then all of a sudden, they sort of, then I've got teams going back to the on-pace stuff. Mm, um, which is what you like. Which is what I like. Um, but I think now I, I actually quite enjoy... I didn't really have a plan for the slow ball, but now I sort of, I just sat back and relaxed and went, right, a slow ball into the wicket is at 115. He's going to actually sit up um, yeah. as a potential like cross bat over that box man. Yeah. And if they actually slow ball over pitch, it's actually just a step hit like a spinner. Yeah. So, yeah, I just sort of found ways that I could score off that. And do you then consciously, consciously in a game think, oh, he's gone on pace two, this is a good chance of being off pace? Or he's gone off pace two, I reckon I'm going to ramp this ball because it's more than likely going to be on pace. Yeah, it's fun. we could chat about this for ages. It's a great point. I I try, I try. find that's a dangerous spot to be in when I'm batting. If I'm, I did it this year when um, Sid's high-class bowler was bowling at Adelaide Oval and he'd bowled hard length, hard length, and he had a completely different feel than he did at Marvel, and I went... I've ramped him once, got him for four. He's just bowling hard length, hoping that I'll try and take mid on and mid off because that's a, that his hard length's hard to get straight. So I gave myself room and going, nah, I'm so good through there. I'll work him through there and he bowled a Yorker. So like, I, I, some of the learnings I've had is I think when you're trying to guess what another human's going to bowl, like that's yeah, that's difficult. dangerous. Yeah. So you try and have the plan, have the understanding, and then just react. And then just react. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, Similar, down in Hobart, I got out for um, three-ball duck, dot, dot, Faulkner, bowl, Faulkner was bowling, the wind, I was hitting with the wind. I went, okay, what's the percentage play here? I'm going to back my, what I call my golf swing, um, down the ground, and the length wasn't there. And so I shanked it out to deep square leg, whereas I went, mate, if you just, if that was just length, you would have hit that onto the hill anyway. Yeah. And then, yeah, next time I took that in, it was yeah, successful. So, so constantly learning from what you're doing. Definitely, well. especially yeah. at my age. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, how do you manage? You're a four-day player as well. You're going to be back in the Shield t- side very soon. Yeah. How do you manage your game? Four-day cricket is so different to 2020 cricket. You need to leave the ball. You need to. You've got completely different sort of plans and mindsets. How do you manage transitioning between the two? You say you played white ball 50 overs at the start of the season, went into Shield cricket, into Big Bash. Do you practice some white ball stuff during the Big uh, during the Sheffield Shield period? During the Big Bash period, were you practising any Red Bull to be ready for this, or is it all just what is now you're focusing on? Yeah, I didn't practise any Red Bull in the Big Bash period just because... Don't have any time. Don't have any time. We were travelling and then training with a game the next day, so like, I didn't feel like that would be my best method to perform well the next night in a Big Bash game. Um, vice versa, when we were playing Shield at the start of the year and I'm facing Red Bull, um, I just backed all the work that I did through May to... September, four months of chopping. I chop and change in pre-season a lot deliberately, mm-hmm. daily. Um, I'd have days where I'd, on the one day, do all three, like, do all three format shots. So then I just knew that... You can transition a bit easier. I feel like I could go and play 2020 tomorrow, but I also feel like I could go and play the Victorian Shield game tomorrow. Just, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's definitely a mental adjustment, but I think 
again, like the keeper batter, as a, for all the young kids coming through, like if you, you can't, got you've got to be able to transition, and it's got to be something like uh, I remember Harry Marcus Harris last year played against Jasper Brimra. And then a week later, it was facing Majib at the Gabba with the white ball in a T20. Like, yeah. it's just got to be able to do it. It's the we live in now, Yeah, correct. It? And, um, it's, I think it's fascinating how you say that about your, your sort of off-season preparation because I think some people think, okay, I didn't have a great red ball season. I'm going to spend really work hard at tightening my technique, getting better. And sometimes that works incredibly well and their red ball numbers go through the roof, but then their white ball game falls off. And I've, I've got a few mates, I won't mention any names, but... One was an excellent white ball player and he's focused on his red ball. He's become an excellent red ball player and his white ball numbers haven't sort of been so good and the, and the opposite. One was very good white ball. Now his red ball is very good and it's so yeah. hard. So I think what you're doing sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it is. And certainly for me, my red ball batting is developing compared to my white ball batting. I feel uh, much more confident playing the sort of the shorter format. And then, um, yeah, so the seasons to come, I am, I am working on exactly what you're talking about um, having a game that can bat 100, 150 balls, but also being, I'm a stroke player, like mm. I'm a scorer, so I've got in trouble t- sometimes going and batting in a red ball game, going, righto, I'm just going to get myself in, give yourself a good chance, and then all of a sudden, half volley comes, you pat it out to mid-off, and then... Yeah, you're not playing enough. Yeah, defence actually isn't as good as it should be, because yeah. I feel like I defend the best, and leave. I leave really well when I'm in an aggressive mm. mindset, that sounds funny, but your best defence is... Yeah. When you're in actually you're getting the best positions when you're trying to be positive. So Absolutely. And that's a huge lesson for anyone who's watching or listening and may not understand this is it's you move better, you get into better positions, you make better decisions when you're being positive and you're looking to score. Yeah, definitely. And I've I mean I've watched some of your videos where you're talking to talking yourself walking out to bat or you're talking to yourself at the crease. Um for me it's like watching someone like Smith, um, Lamashane, Williamson, I've noticed a trend in these guys in Red Bull sort of shifting across to off stump. Uh, and for me, strength of mind is off my pad, so that that allows me to leave the ball well because anything I know where my off stump is, yeah. uh, so I can leave well there. If they have a pitch, I've got my scoring options. Uh, and if they want to come and try and get my front pad, I'll back myself. So, I'll track yeah. myself. That's a run scoring opportunity. Yeah, awesome. So again, it's these sort of elite players are building their games around their strengths. Let's take a break from Sam for a minute and go back to last week's episode with Melbourne Renegades coach and former Australian batter Michael Klinger. Um, out of the blue, a couple of weeks later, I got a call from uh, Justin Langer and he mentioned what I talked about before in, in terms of um, we'd love to have you over. We just, uh, Mark, sorry, Marcus North retired a bit unexpectedly, had a great yeah. season that year yeah. and he decided to retire. So they were trying to um, build up some experience in the group to, to help Vogue out and as I said, Michael Hogan was a, the quick bowler who was, had a bit of experience. The rest of the guys were all really between 18 and 22 who had now become established players for WA. So he just said to me, listen, we'd love to come over. No, as I said before, no pressure on making runs. Just be good around the group. And went back. Um, I was actually at uh, the Gloucestershire season launch when it happened. So I went back, spoke to my wife afterwards, and within, I think, two days we decided to go. Uh, they gave an official contract. Once I spoke to South Australia, who um, understood, and yeah, so it all happened really quickly. We had to, we still had a house in Adelaide, which we were renting, so we had to get um, both our parents to go over and pack it up for us because we were over in the UK, uh, yeah. uh, break our lease. So it was always all happening for a couple of months, yeah. and then um, it all, yeah, and then my time in Perth, I can't speak any more highly of. It was really hard to for the family to move back six months ago to Melbourne. Uh, obviously, Melbourne all our family's base, both our set of um, 
you know, brothers, sisters, parents, and um, uh, for young kids, uh, a lot of cousins and that sort of stuff. So that was the main reason we came back, but we really enjoyed the lifestyle there. I think if I would have found um, the right job sort of straight out of cricket, we would have stayed in yeah. Perth. Yeah. Um, but in sport, for what I was wanting to do, whether it's coaching or the management side of sport, there's probably a few more opportunities in Melbourne. That's yeah. another reason we decided to come back. Now let's get back to Sam. Um, Maxi Klinger mentioned how he did some work with you throughout the Big Bash on something that I noted when I watch you play is you're, you're very dynamic. You move a lot. You're, you're unpredictable from a from a bowler's point of view, but it's about being still at impact, he said. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, you'd never watch the TV with your head moving, would you? Because uh. you wouldn't get a clear screen. So... Uh, same thing in cricket. I'd never try and hit the ball without having a still head because I think all this is sort of irrelevant if your head's not still. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's all good and well to move, but I and I moved at times really well, this big bash, and played shots on the move, but when I when the ball released or when I hit the ball, uh, the ones I didn't have much success when I might have, I was probably moving, and the ones I hit cleanly or gave myself a chance to execute, um, I was very still on impact. So how did you how did you manage that? Was that just Maxie's eye telling you when you're moving? You feeling like oh that wasn't so good. I was probably on the move, or a bit of video, or how did you? Yeah, uh, video. It's pretty obvious. Like I know when I'm moving around, and I'm trying to do exactly the opposite of what I said before with the bowlers. I'm trying. I'm hoping they're sending it to the mark, going. What's he gonna do? Jeepers! Like, is he gonna give himself room? Is he gonna uh, come inside the line and pick pick me up? Um, he loves the ramp. Uh, if a bowl slow ball, he might just stand. Like, so I'm hoping they're going, he could do four or five different things because I know they're thinking yeah. and try to bowl four or five different things. So, yeah, it's one of my biggest strengths, but sometimes it can also be a weakness. Absolutely. Now, in the in the big bash, you've got Sids at the top of his mark or you've got Majib or you've got Zampa or you've got someone. Do you manage your game plan if, if it's a good like if it's a good matchup for you and you feel like, you, you feel like you've got an edge against that ball, you think, right, we could take this for 16 or 20 this over... And again, on the flip side, you've got someone who you don't fancy and think, oh, this could be, like, I don't match up so well against them. Yeah. Do you manage that or do you just say, right, it's the third over, I need to go. That's my role. Yeah, it's very game dependent. Um, one of the troubles I got in this year, the one I moved around way too much, was at Marvel against Adelaide. And that was actually because of Rashid Khan. This sounds funny. He hadn't even bowled yet, but I was going, we're chasing a big score here and I'm opening. I want to get the scoreboard under control so a, ma- a, mainly for the team so that when he comes on and bowls his four through the middle because we had a game plan against him um, that we were just going to bat positively against him but try and limit his impact on the game through wickets so but if he bowls four overs none for 20 when you get, need to go at nine that run rate's at 12 like yeah. so I was trying to get us off to such a good start so that we could sort of limit their yeah. weapon and in, that, in, in doing that I was 11 or 14 which yeah. was my lowest strike and worst uh, worst boundary percentage in the whole tournament. So that was a pretty clear message that I was trying to score almost too quickly that night and it wasn't being reactive, yeah. it was being preemptive. So, yeah, but in terms of, your, yeah, back to your question, um, there's certainly different bowl, and it depends on who you're batting with. If I'm batting with Muhammad Nabi, who's a whiz against spin, even if I feel like I might be able to get this bloke for a boundary, I feel confident, um, most times they're not. If he's on, I'll just try and get him on strike and go, mate, you do your work. Like, I'd communicate with him if someone who I feel like I've got their measure as a pace nabs play instinctively, but a one's not a bad option because I feel like I can get this play. Yeah. How do you switch off from the game? You've uh, come out of a very busy big bash, but it can be so consuming. You can live in the bubble. It can be sort of full of pressure at times. 
what do you do to get away from the game? Yeah, um, I try and do when I'm not at training or when I'm not at a game or when I'm not sitting at home doing some um, planning or video watching that I'm actually I'm not creates not going through my brain. So like once I've done all that and prepared, I then try and not think about it. Um, golf's a big one for me. Surfing's a big one for me. Uh, spending time with family, friends, girlfriend. Uh, just stuff that I can keeps, you busy. keeps me busy. Not I think the worst thing I could do is on a day off sit at home because like we're cricketers. Like I think it's too easy to say I just don't think about it. Like mm. well it's my job. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm going to think about it. Of so um, it's doing things that take you outside of um, thinking about cricket. And then I think that helps you come back fresh to train well. Hundred percent. And that's something that I've noticed since my sort of professional career many years ago. Now is the best players are able to switch off so they can give all their energy yeah. when it counts. When it counts. They don't overthink it when they're not there sort of thing. Um, now, going into your mind a bit more on game day, what do you think about in between balls and as the bowler's at the top of his mark and starts to run in, what's your pre-ball routine and your in-between ball routine? Um, yeah, so like in a red ball game, I'm probably looking at the field. With the red ball, it's... the I think it's simple. Like the bowler is bowling ninety percent of their balls, trying to hit around the top of off, if not fourth fifth stump channel, and with the odd bouncer. Like that sounds so simple for first class cricket, but that's that's the plan. That's the plan, and you can ask all the best bowlers out there around the world. That's what they're trying to do. So usually there's three slips in the galley when you start your innings, and no cover. And then when you, if you get in or you're playing on a slow low wicket, there's catching in the front. So you can actually, it's not that unpredictable what is going to come it's then just having the uh, clear mind and intent to make sure that in a red ball game as we spoke about before in a red ball game for me if they do miss I'm scoring because I'm still trying to put pressure back on the bowler um, but yeah I'm tr- not trying to think about I'm trying to get as clear as I can when the ball's running in so in between balls I'm trying actually not to think about too much I'm backing that I've done wonder. I've done the preparation yeah if I was ever in a position where I was trying to prepare in the middle I'd be annoyed with my days leading in because probably haven't execu- I've not I've wasted them. So when the ball's at the top of the mark, you don't have a mantra or a trigger, mental trigger. It's just a physical thing, and then just you're just looking at the ball. Yeah, it is. So Davilius did this um, cricket yard video where he talked about the late block. Now this got me in a little bit of trouble for a little bit because I was playing this beautiful late block, but I wasn't scoring because <laughs> I was getting in such a beautiful position to play the late block, and I'd go Davilius late blocks, and then he scores. Anyway, and then, so now I've transitioned that into, I'm in a good position to late block, but you're going to have to bowl your best ball for me to do that or leave, And then, but if you miss that, then I'm in a position to score. Um, yeah, with the red ball, I just slightly, I actually do change my grip a tiny little bit, uh, which I wouldn't discourage, but I wouldn't encourage. You've got to do what suits you. For me, it's just I want my bat face as square as I can on impact in the red ball game because I know I'm going to get a lot of deliveries around off stump. Whereas in the white ball game when our Do you open it a bit more? I don't deliberately open it a bit more, but I just I'm happy for that bat face just I'm happy for that bat face to be as open as it wants to be and definitely from first slip around. Do you um, use more bottom hand? Definitely. White ball? Um definitely. Yeah. And then with that open face I can either bo- I'm I'm a strong bottom hand player, so I can either use my bottom hand or if I get that width, one of my best positions is going over or through points. So I can just sort of use all their pace. Yeah. Um, and go that way. Whereas in the Red Bull, I want to. You cannot afford to present eighty percent of the bat face mm. to these guys mm. who are so good at peppering the off stump because you will, yeah. you will nick one. You'll nick one anyway doing yeah. that sometimes. But 
so that's been a big thing. And then in the white ball, um, it's, the game's moving so quickly that I'm just, again, trying to get myself in a position where I'm clear so I can make so the best decision. So in the white ball, it's not, okay, it's 48 off 31. Oh. There's a gap at cover. Like, okay, he's, and now he starts to run. Like, you're thinking a bit more in white ball about the scenario and the game yeah, than, you, than red ball? You have to be. I, I try and keep it as simple as I can, and I don't do this Every time I bat, as I said with Adelaide Strikers, I was doing terribly that night. Just because you say it doesn't mean you always execute it Absolutely, in a game. Yeah. Um, I think batting first, I'm just what's my role, and then I'm doing that. And then obviously when there's a run trace on, I actually don't try and go, it's this off this many balls. I just go, right, the run rate is approximately eight or nine. If I play my best six balls to this over, I'll be able to get that. So it's not, if I need a boundary. It's no, play these six balls well when you're on strike and you'll get a boundary because yeah. you've got the scoring opportunities to do that. Uh, the, but sweeps and reverse sweeps and ramps, um, I don't know, players who can pick the length and then sweep, I find incredible. Like, yeah. they've got a gifted skill. I can't do that. Yeah. If I'm sweeping, I'm sweeping. Yeah. So, yeah. And if I'm ramping, I'm not waiting for, yeah, a, I'm not waiting for a line at 130Ks now. I'm, it's just That's impossible. impossible. <laughs> Correct. So... I do find that amazing. Like definitely in red ball stuff, if they bowl it down leg and they're bowling slower, then sweep. then you can sweep. But when you're facing Majib and Rashid and these, even sweep on these guys are bowling 90 k's an hour. Yeah, I'm going to wait for the right length. Like you don't have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it makes it hard for yourself. Yeah. So at the top level, what do you think? And this is a question I ask all our guests. What do you think is the breakdown between technical and mental? What's the if you had to give a percentage? Or what do you think is important with each? Oh, 80-20, mental, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but that's not to. That's built on a lot of work from when I was a young kid. Um, I probably say when I was like ages, when I was ages five or ten, cricket was all fun. Like I wasn't going. I want a perfect forward defence. It was just going the nets, playing in the backyard, all fun because that's how it should be. Mm. And then it got to a stage where, right, if I want to be the best player I can be, I'm going to need to score in X, Y, Z areas. I'm going to need to duck the bouncer. So you do all that technical work and then but by the time you're at sort of 23 I know I'm a young player but I feel like my game will keep adapting and changing because it has to each year mm. and I'm not afraid of change because I think if I'm changing for to become a better player that's great but I'm sort of I'm, my, I'm a split grip player predominantly Dom and Ham when I'm trying to score can cut like my strengths are probably going to be my main strengths for the next 10 years as well yeah. so yeah. once you've got your technique to a base you can't just be 13 and say, right, I've got a good mental game, I'm going to be okay. You have to get your technique to a base. Yeah. And you wouldn't probably get picked in, in the first class or the professional game if you didn't have that base. Yeah. But then it obviously becomes, and this is a common theme everyone says and everything I've read and listened to says it's all, primarily becomes about how you manage yourself as a person. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, one of that classic example, I mean, my average 9.5, like, that's just mentally, like, he's just getting... I, He's just getting done over and done over by Broad, who's bowling extremely well. He's, a, of course, not a bad player. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He won yeah. the Unblue Medal the other night. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't get the kids. Like, I remember, especially when you're playing Saturday to Saturday, it was so hard when you missed out. If you missed out on a Saturday and then fight, you're going to the Nets on the Sunday, Monday, club training Tuesday, and you're like, I just want Saturday to come for bat. And yeah. I did that. And it's so hard to wait that seven-day period for another bat. Yeah, yeah. But it's not helping because then you get out there and, you're desperate. Desperate, instead of just allowing like, yourself to yeah. bat. And that's the hardest thing I find with grade cricket is you can go three weeks without a bat. I know. And you can be in form and then you haven't had a hit for three weeks and you've done too much training and you're overthinking things again and 
or you can be out of form and you've got out early and it's actually like six weeks since you're five weeks since you've spent any time in the middle and it can be a real challenge. It can be, yeah. I mean, the scheduling talks talked a lot and it can come back to Grey Creek. I mean, the boys at Melbourne this week, Melbourne, my club side, could bowl and then, sorry, they could bat this week and then bowl and then lose to us and bowl the following week and they've had two hits in a well, that's, month. That's exactly what we're doing. We're batting Correct. this week and we haven't batted for three weeks. I know. So it's, it is a challenge. Yeah. Um, now, you spoke about if you want to be the best, you have to do on this. What drives you? Are you trying to be your best or are you trying to be the best in the world or what, what, are you, what drives you every day? Yeah, I'm trying to be my best. I think it would... Obviously, I think if you're trying to be your best, you're obviously trying to be the best in the world. But I don't think comparison or... Um, it's like Steve Smith does things... Steve Smith, for me, is the best test batter in the world. And I'm trying to be my best, but whilst learning from like someone like him play. And then if I work as hard as I can and prepare and do everything as well as I can, then I'll be... I'll get to my best. I feel like he's done that in his career. Like, he's not gone, I'm going to be Sachin Dorker and try and be better than him. Like, he's just, I'm going to work my backside off with my skills. And then that's turned him from a number nine league spinner to... What he is today. Yeah, what he is today. I don't think when he debuted as a league spinner that batted at nine, he was going, I'm going to be the best batter in the world. He's just allowed that. Devin and Finch, you said it the other night, he didn't set out to be a captain now he's the one day t20 captain he just went i'm going to be a leader in the team i'm going to learn as a young kid i'm going to get the tactical nows from all the senior players and now he's a senior player and the 10 years he's done before that of learning and stuff like that's made him a good captain so yeah of course we all want don't we we all want to be the best batter in the world <laughs> we all want to be the best keeper in the world we all want to be the best and bowler if you don't you're selling yourself short you because you'll get to a point and you'll stop being trying or you'll stop taking action definitely so i think we, you want to do a bit of like you want to do a bit of both but for me it's Doing the best I can to prepare well, to play well, and then yeah. I'm happy. Yeah, you mentioned Finchie, and you might use him as an example, but you've been around some of the world's best players. You've you've seen them up close. What is it that Finchie does, or the others you've seen, that separates them from the rest? Um, they're very clear on what they want to do. Um, like I touched on there, they don't shy away from that very often. Those guys, I I find it fascinating. Those guys sort of post that 26, 27 age. They know their they know their strengths and they stick to it and they go. If my season starts in September, or for these blokes, they don't even have a set season. They just, they're playing all year. So if I do this for twelve months of the year, there's going to be patches where I don't go very well. There's going to be patches where I do go well. Um, but like I said, with the falling game BBL season, they just stick try and stick to it. Mm. But that doesn't mean they're not changing. For someone like Fincher, he'll be the first to admit. And he always jokes about that for six to eight years of his career, he had a uh, magnet in his front pad. Mm. <laughs> but now if you watch him bat in the long form stuff, he's left legs almost outside legs. So if you hit him on the pad, it can't be LBW. Mm. He's uh, evolved his game. He's evolved his game. And he's evolved that at 30. Mm. So like, <laughs> it's not to say these senior guys get to this age and go, I know my strengths, I know my weaknesses. They're not... Like they're always coming to training, mm. um, trying, trying to get, get better. better. Yeah. And uh, they never stop doing that. Uh, Sean Marsh was... I was like he's thirty six years old. Um, yeah, he was so good to watch. I watched him train a lot at the Renegades. Um, he'd hit, but he hit, always hit with purpose. He's mm. working on things. He's watching other players train. He's watching videos. He's uh, he's doing everything he can at thirty six, mm. and that's to me a guy who knows he's been contract for WA for twenty years. Mm. So I think he'd have a fair understanding of his game, but he's still going. How can I play the next game better? Which is very important. Well, one of the one of my goals with this podcast is to get insight into um, players like yourself who have made it to the top. But there's 
always common themes and hopefully any consumers of this content whether it's video or audio are, are learning from that the best players are always just trying to get better yeah. no matter if they're 23 like you and you're learning off sauce or whether they're sauce and they're 20 36 and they've played numerous amounts of test cricket they won the domestic player of the year they're always trying to get, get better. better maxi klinger said he was um, at the very end of his career and he, he watched some footage, saw that his bat lift was going behind him and had to tinker for a couple of sessions and all of a sudden he got back in form. So something that's just is a never-ending theme in these these discussions with elite athletes is the, the need and the will to get better. Yeah, um, definitely. Now, moving on, it's a, you're in a tough time at the moment. You're not able to play because of concussion. Yeah. Um, you've been through a pretty awful time in the past. Talk, talk us a bit about where you're at at the moment. Yeah, it's, um, it is frustrating. The, the one in Adelaide was sort of, I just counted that as a freak incident. I mean, how many times does Kiwi get hit in the head with a bat? <laughs> and then Just for, the, for our viewers who might not know, can you give us some insight into what happened? Yeah, so I was, I was playing a Shield game at the Adelaide Oval and um, Johnny Holland was bowling and Jake Lehman played a nice pull shot. He was batting deep in his crease and his bat came and collected me in the head. Um, Did you have a helmet on? Yes, had a helmet on. Yeah, for all the mothers out there, they had a helmet on. <laughs> um, yeah, and then that left me unconscious. And then yeah, that was a frustrating period because... So the brain is so weird and concussion is so different. I mean, um, one of the boys played golf the other day with Matt Tuma, the rugby player, who'd been concussed three nights before in a rugby game, and then he's 100% within three days. AFL players can sometimes miss one week, two weeks, three weeks. So it's just um, different. That one left me in hospital in Adelaide for two and a half, three weeks with seizures and all this stuff that um, yeah you don't want to have. I was feeling horrendous for probably about a month there. Whereas this one is a bit different. I felt terrible for about three or four days and then I've just slowly got rid of the symptoms to a stage now where I'm back in training. Did that bring back some, some fears or some anxiety around what happened last time, those first few days? Um, not really. Sort of once I got through that once I got through that first night and I was and I didn't have any of the seizures or anything, um, then I was right. fine. And and the other thing is, I mean, you choose to walk out in a cricket field, like you choose to drive a car, you choose you make choices in life. For me, I'm choosing to be a cricketer. Mm. I could get hit in the head batting tomorrow. Like, mm. it's just, I'm not feared. I don't fear that one bit. Yeah. Um, you so know, there's I, no anxiety returning to the game? No, there's yeah. no anxiety returning to the game. I don't, I don't say that, wanting that to happen. But I would love for my next 10 years to never get hit in the head, to never fall over, to never try and take a specky on a bowler, which was stupid, to do any of that stuff. But I don't, yeah, I just move on. You've just got to get back on the horse and get going. Yeah, it's part and parcel of what, we, what you do. Yeah. Um, now, looking ahead... If everything was to go as well as it can do, what what does your career look like? If you're 38, and you're retired, and you're having a beer with your mates, yeah. what does your career look like from here? Um, looks like a three format cricketer at this at this stage. Definitely, I want to. Uh, whilst I feel like I'm favoured at the moment to white ball, I make no bones about that. I want to be as good a red ball player as I can be. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much as simple. I want to be the best player I can be in each format. Yeah. Uh, moving forward but I also want to take as many opportunities as I can if that means it's playing in other competitions around the world in T20 I don't see how that can't I don't see how all the as a young player all these expanding revolutions of the game can't help us mm. um, going and playing in IPL one year is definitely a goal but just like trying to play a test match one day is probably the main goal yeah. um, at this yeah. stage awesome awesome I love test cricket and I think it's yeah. great that you as a young demographic um, 
BBL 9 to 23 must have been you must have been 15 or 14 when the BBL started Started. you could have easily sort sort of thought that's where all the money is that's what I want to do but to hear that guys like you are still desperate to play test cricket I think is brilliant for the game yeah definitely Um, last few questions who's the hardest opponent you've ever played against hardest opponent I've ever played against from a fear factor it's Rashid Khan um, purely because I haven't faced him enough unfortunately to I faced him the fir- in my second ever BBL game at the Adelaide Oval, and the, f- the first two balls I went. I'm going to play for his wrong end because he's LBW and bowled. He's massive Moses dismissal, and the ball went f- flying past my outside edge. Not out, but I went. Fact the bloke can spin his wrong end, and he spins his leg like I'm stuffed here. <laughs> uh, you got me that LBW next ball, and that was negative mindset, not positive. Whereas the, I was on 26 off 18 balls, so I should have. There was no reason not to be. Yeah. Um, positive so yeah I mean I'll shout Harry Nielsen or Alex Carey a beer um, when I see them next if they can tell me how they keep turning what, what they do to pick him because I remember back to my grade days when uh, Brenton McDonald his name was it was a really good leg spin I played a bit for South Australia and I could never pick his flipper in the nets and he always got me out of LW and then this one day I realised that instead of holding it like this he actually just held it in these two fingers at the top of his mouth for a flipper so I could tell four metres before his thing that he's going to bowl a flipper. And that just changed. So, yeah, he's probably the toughest opponent I've come across. That's interesting. Shane Warne, I heard speak at the Wacker one day many years ago, and he spoke about when he was younger, and he was talking about reading a batter. Same sort of thing he was talking about reading Brenton McDonald or Rashid. And he was talking about a story about how he was bowling to Carl Hooper one day, and Carl Hooper would block, 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 and then hit him for six. Block, 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 hit him for six. And Warney knew there was something different, but it took him forever to work out, and he'd been hit for four or five sixes, and he said it finally clicked that when Hooper was going to hit him for six, he'd, he'd look down for longer. He'd look down, tap, 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 look up, late, and then go down and hit. And it's those little things that good players... Totally. Those good players understand and they read. They're always looking for little cues, aren't they? See, and I think someone like Rashid's really funny because he knows how many tournaments there are these days and how many... Um, he could be, like, who knows, he's at the Adelaide Strikers now, but he could be bowling to one of his teammates in another competition within, mm. a, within a couple of months. So I spoke to Shorty and Cam White, two of my good mates from Victoria. I said, boys, like, how do you pick him? What do you do? And he goes, and they just said, nah. Like he, he won't give you secrets He, he doesn't give you secrets away. He doesn't tell them yeah. even in the Adelaide Nets as a teammate. And Amazing. That, so. Well, that's the world of 2020 cricket, isn't yeah. it? You've got to keep your... And John Wells, who's a friend of mine, is on this podcast last week. He um he said that he's always trying to bowl new balls. Yeah. He's always trying to evolve because blokes are trying to work him out and understand how to get him with limited success. But he's trying to evolve his game, and that's, again, what the best players yeah, do. Yeah, I read an article this morning. I don't know if you've seen it that he's trying to, he's got these new balls for test match cricket Amazing. that he doesn't feel he needs to bowl in T20 because he's already <laughs> conquered that so. what, a, what a player yeah. what a player and Maxi Klinger actually brought his name up as a tough opponent as well so yeah. He's, he's yeah absolutely amazing now what's next for you Sammy um, what's next for me Skulls I'm going to get back playing as soon as I can um, yeah the plan is to hopefully be ready for there's a shield game starting in a, yeah, about a week and a half um yeah, get back facing bowling, get back doing everything I can. As soon as the doctors clear you. As soon as doctors clear me, um, then, yeah, we've got a few shield games left to finish the season. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have a little bit of time off where I'll go away, feel us heading away to Byron Bay, um, a bit of a boys trip and surfing. surfing, yeah, get away and then, yeah, sort of get back into it. I'm hoping to, ex- um, hoping to explore any opportunity I can to play more cricket, so whether that's potentially heading over to the UK through 
May, June, uh, whether someone gets injured as a domestic T20 player in England and I can go snap a thing in there 2020. We've been chatting to a few things over there. So, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, hopefully that works yeah. out for you. Um, why do you play cricket? Um, I play cricket because I played it for fun as a kid uh, and it's the game I enjoyed the most. And I try and keep enjoying it because at the time in, as a professional when it's a job, you actually forget to enjoy what you're doing. Um, yeah, so I play cricket because it's a team sport and I get to enjoy success with my mates and I've got some, some of my best friends are cricketers. Um, yes, it's more than just the game itself, but then also just I enjoy that challenge of cricket, becoming the best player I can be in what I, is a difficult environment because there's good bowls. <laughs> Absolutely, great answer. Um, now, final question, what's your definition of success? Yes, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, my definition of success would just be... Uh, giving everything I've got to my career, um, but then accepting there's going to be good days, bad days, the team's going to have good seasons, bad seasons. Uh, but, yeah, just working as hard as I can and enjoying it. Uh, yeah, realising it's a process and, yeah, it's going to be a journey. That's awesome. That's awesome. What great advice, guys. Um, it's been awesome to have such a um, bright prospect in Australian cricket, Sam Harper, on the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. Thank you, Sammy. Thanks, good man. Thanks for sharing all that it. wisdom. Um, and hopefully our audience, our viewers and um, listeners will, will get some value out of that. Good luck for the rest Beauty. of your career. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Well, legends, yet another very interesting and inspiring guest who shared their journey with us. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm pleased to say that Sammy has since returned to playing for Victoria and has played a crucial role in helping them move up the Sheffield Shield ladder, scoring 62 and 25 not out in Victoria's big win over South Australia last week. I loved hearing how he analyses the bowlers he is due to come up against, then how he thinks during a big bash innings, and the thought that goes behind each shot and his best scoring options. As with all players we speak to on this podcast, he talks about always learning and trying to get better, which is crucial for any young player, and I hope everyone listening to this aims to do so also. If you found this episode valuable, I'd love it if you could please share it with one or more people who you think that could also benefit from hearing it. And please send Sammy a message at SammyHarps underscore four on Instagram to let him know that you enjoyed it. That's it for today's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you could please take 60 to 90 seconds to leave a review as it helps us move up the rankings and get heard by more people. Thanks a lot for listening, Legend. Now it's time to go out and get it done.